Yeah, my name is Sven Christensen. Obviously, I'm not Rusty, and uh, he and family and, and a bunch of people down in, in Nashville um, celebrating Chloe's wedding. Um, so not only, uh, well, you get plan C. Uh, so here we are, um, and I'm actually very glad that we're not packed and spread out all over the place. Uh, we have a little bit more uh, intimacy. So here's what I'm going to throw your way. You are free to say or ask in the middle of our little chat here. This is not necessarily a one-way street. So if I say something and you think, well, that's a load of crap, go ahead, raise your hand if you want, throw something at me, object, and, uh, and, and we, can, we can go on. Um, so I, most of you probably know that I uh, do a lot of work with um, international college students, primarily those from places like uh, the Middle East. And so uh, I have had the opportunity to have a lot of interesting discussions with them centered on, on the gospel. And um, God has used that through my life to kind of refocus things a little bit, uh, reshape my theology, uh, because they ask questions that I had never before been asked. And I'm a guy who, um, since the age of nine, had spent just about every Sunday in church and went to seminary, actually graduated from seminary. Thought I pretty much knew it all, and um, I'm surprised I didn't hear an amen from my wife. Um, so when, when these guys start asking me questions that I've never been asked before, it really takes me back to a place where I have to search for what is the truth and what's right, what's not right. And so the uh, very most fundamental question then as far as I can tell, is what is the gospel? Right? What is it? Um, and it's an amazing experience to try to articulate the gospel to somebody who doesn't have a clue about who Jesus is or the history of any of that stuff. And, and so for me, it, it just uh, is eye-opening to to the greatness and the grandness of what God is doing. So let me throw it out to you. Can you, in a relatively concise way, tell me what the gospel is? If somebody walked up to you, oh, Dave's ready. All right, here we go. <laughs> You're making me nervous. Um, if somebody walked up to you and said, hey, what is the gospel? Could you tell them, or what would you tell them? And I'm open to suggestions. The good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ. All right. Anybody else have anything in addition to that? The holy living word of God. Say that again? The holy living word of God. The holy living word of God. Good. What other? Oh, good. The blueprint on this journey. Okay, there's a first for me. The blueprint on this journey. I might have to talk to you afterwards. That's really good. Um, Luke? I would say it's it's God's, it's the story, it's the story of, it's a message, because it could be open-ended, but it's the story of God's restoration of mankind okay. through Jesus Christ and everything that is part of that. Good. Luke? Um, 
no. Your check's in the mail. Because it's exactly, I hate it when I'm right with Luke and Luke's right with me because it means we're both probably wrong. <laughs> no, it's very good. Very good. Um, when, I, when I was in college and throughout my um, adult life, there were expressions of the gospel that were always used. And the first one, especially in college, because this comes from Campus Crusade, is the four spiritual laws. Anybody remember, like, the four spiritual laws? Here's what they are. Number one, God loves you and has a plan for your life. Number two, we can't know God's plan because we have sin. Number three, Jesus is the provision for our sins. And number four, you must place your faith in Christ in order to get the gift of salvation and to know God's plan. Um... It's very formulaic, right? Boom, 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 A, B, C, D. And, and it always struck me as being a little overly contrived. Um, and what happens if you're articulating that gospel message to someone and you reject one of your laws, right? Well, I don't believe in God. Oh, well, then none of these make any sense, right? Or, or well, I've never done anything bad. I'm not saying, oh, okay, well, then cross out two, three, and four. So... Another one, evangelism explosion. Anybody been through evangelism explosion? What they sell you there is to ask a couple questions. Here's the main question that you're supposed to ask. Suppose you were to die today and you stand before God and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would be your response? First of all, that's a pretty provocative question to ask somebody, right? I mean, you nail them to a wall. There you go. Um, but it leads to an interesting conversation. But here, here's where this thing kind of falters in my perspective. It focuses on making it into heaven so that, that the gospel message becomes some kind of fire insurance sort of a thing, right? I want to escape hell, so this is the way that I do it, right? So I remember as a kid, um, people all, we moved around a lot. My dad was in the army, and um, I had heard the counsel to always go to a gospel preaching church. And I think what they meant by that is a church that told you how to avoid hell. And um, I don't know, focusing on making it into heaven or avoiding hell, it kind of makes the argument go into sort of a wishful thinking, right? Because I would say, oh, my theology said you have to believe this and then you make it into heaven and somebody else who doesn't believe that said, no, 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 you have to go this way to make it into heaven. And um, and so it's, you're right, I'm wrong, I'm right, you're wrong, who, who knows? You never know. Reminds me of a, uh, a song, this is going to date me, and it's by Blood, Sweat, and Tears, um, <laughs> called And When I Die. And here's one of the lines in, in this beautiful little song. I can swear there ain't no heaven, but I pray there ain't no hell. I'll never know by living, only my dying will tell I think it's right, right? So if you're talking about, hey, here's how you make it to heaven or here's how you don't, the only way to know, to know, to know is to be there. And uh, it's a little too late to have that conversation at that point. So um, perhaps one of my favorite gospel explanation sort of things is the Romans road. I'm sure a bunch of you know that. And I'll run through that real quick for you. Um, Romans 3.23, anybody know that? That may have always Yeah, go ahead. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yeah, good. For all have sinned. Romans 6, 23. Anyone know that? It's kind of the corollary to this one, right? For the wages of sin is death. 
Okay, everyone's sin, wages of sin is death, everyone's dying. Sorry, bad news. Um, Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, a little bit of good news in there, good. All right, and then we go to Romans 10, 19. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God will raise him from the dead, you'll be saved. Okay, and then Romans 5, 1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Here's my issue with that. I mean, all of that sounds good, right? It's all good. But you're taking a verse here and a verse there and a verse here and it's like this popcorn thing. Why couldn't Paul just have written, hey, here we go. Here's your formula for it. And so I think the reason it's not like that, you can't find the formula for the gospel anywhere in scripture. And I think the reason is because of what Luke, unfortunately it was a Luke that alluded to this. It's, our, it's the story. It's this great epic that's going on. It's not just, here's the list of do's and here's the list of don'ts. It's this massive story. Um, so let's try to untangle that story a little bit. John Eldridge, I don't know if any of you guys have read uh, any stuff from him. He wrote Wild at Heart and a bunch of other things. Um, it was wildly popular you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, uh, but he makes uh, a claim that we love stories so much, and it's true by how many movies we watch every year, how many novels we read, and we're just engrossed in story. That's why one of the reasons why we love sports, right? Because there's story in sports. And um, it's because story is something that's innate in us. We are part of a larger story, and we just want to live out an expression of the story. And that God has kind of placed it into our DNA. Now, <clears throat> one, one thing that was said earlier was that the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. Actually, that's a complete and total definition of the word gospel. Gospel means good news. And so when you think, sometimes we think that's the gospel truth. Well, that's kind of a misuse of the word gospel. It's the good news. It's not the truth, truth. It's the good news. And so um, what happens when there is good news? There's, there's the other side of that thing that coin, and that's there's bad news. You can't have good news without having experienced bad news, right? You've heard the thing, you want the good news or you want the bad news first. They're, they're one always goes with the other. So um, good news implies that there is bad news. So let's kind of unpack this from an older Jewish perspective, like around uh, the time of Jesus, what would the Jews sort of be thinking? Why, why was the term gospel used back then and how did they hear it? What were they hearing? And it goes to the whole story of what God is doing. So we're gonna run through this real quick, um, just so that you get a sense of the context and sense of scope. Starts with creation, right? Everything's cool, everything's wonderful. Next we know, you turn the page, boom, there's the fall. Adam and Eve bite the apple or the pomegranate or whatever the heck it was, and everything falls apart. God says, you're out of the garden and you're not allowed to come back. Um, we are all cursed out of the fall, but within that curse, there is a promise of a cure for the curse. So immediately we come up to a promise. This is very, very important. Um, so after that, God gives just a little bit of guidance, uh, not very much at all. And humanity goes and prospers. Adam and Eve have kids. They have kids and kids and kids. And kids. They're like 800 years old, so they're having kids and they're just crazy. Um, 
Anyway, God offers just a little bit of guidance and all hell breaks loose. The, the, the planet just turns into this mucky thing. And God says, all right, we're going to start all over with Noah and the flood. So then after that, again, people kind of wander away from the truth. And it didn't take long if you read the story about Noah and after he parks the ark on, the, on Mount Ararat. Um, and uh, multiple generations after that, God chooses Abraham because he's in a culture where there's, it's all polytheistic, multiple gods, not just one true God. So he chooses Abraham, and God gives him a promise. There's that word again, the promise. And the promise is that the whole world, all of creation, will be blessed through his offspring. And so you've heard all this before, but try to think of this from the perspective of somebody who doesn't know diddly-do about the Bible or about Jesus or anything like that. And it's kind of a wild epic. So there's Abraham's family uh, prospers until it doesn't, right? So there's a famine. God sends Abraham's family into Egypt, rescues Abraham's family. But that rescuing turns into a problem because Abraham's family now becomes the children of Israel and they're stuck in slavery in Egypt. A few hundred years later, along comes Moses to take the, uh, the children of Israel out of Egypt to deliver them from, from slavery. Um, at that point, um, God's giving the children through Moses and actually even through Abraham, God gave them some instructions on how to be unique in that culture. So, or in their own world, one of the instructions that, that God gave Abraham was this whole notion of circumcision. I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to me. However, it does make them unique in all of human history, right? Nobody said, hey, let's do the whole circumcision thing. And so um, in order to stand out from everybody else, that was one of the things that was implemented. Through Moses, when he implemented the law, not only did he do natural law, don't murder, don't envy, and those kinds of things, but he also implemented a bunch of other rituals with sacrifices and with um Festivals. If you want to get into festivals, you can talk to Matt Tully sometime. He's got this whole list of the festivals and how it relates to Jesus and the crucifixion, and it's really kind of fascinating. So anyway, through that whole list of rules and regulations, laws and rituals that, that God implemented through the children of Israel, he did so to make them unique in their, in their land, to separate them from the Persians, from the Amalekites, from the, all those other ites that are in there and that you read through in the Bible. All right, um, let's see, I'm go, trying to go fast. Uh, good enough. So God's people have a problem. They keep, oh yeah, we're gonna follow, and then they fall away, then they follow, then they fall away. So it's good times, bad times, this roller coaster of history, and um, they get invaded, they correct themselves and everything gets better. Then they get invaded again because they've fallen away. And so this, it's just this, this nightmare. Um, many prophets come and go, begging Israel to repent and return to their traditional ways. But they also proclaim a new promise that's coming, a promise to replace the promise that was given to Abraham that ultimately was founded in the garden when Adam and Eve did the pomegranate thing. I don't like the apple, I like the pomegranate. So what is the sense of that new promise? Here's a couple hints. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 33. Um, interrupt me at any time, by the way, if, if, if you're missing something or I'm going too fast or it doesn't make sense to you. Um, here's, here's what Jeremiah 31 says. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, 
when I will make a new covenant, that's promise, with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers the day that I took them out of, uh, took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, not just on these granites, but within them, uh, and on their heart I will write it. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Another prophet, Ezekiel in chapter 20, uh, 36. Here we go again. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. So suddenly there's this shift that's going to take place where instead of obeying all the rules and regulations and rituals and all of that kind of stuff and, and just striving and working to, to be careful, to be good, God's going to do something where he's going to actually move in and transform his own people. So now we fast forward a few hundred years and here comes Jesus. It's that holiday time. We're talking about uh, Christmas and the incarnation and all of that. And here's where, here's where things get hopping. Um, uh, Jesus comes on and he preach and he has a bunch of disciples and he is preaching the gospel and he's sending out his disciples to preach the gospel. And in the gospels, there's 19 times that the word gospel is used, which means good news as we've discussed. So he's telling them to preach the good news. Well, the good news is not that Jesus came and died and rose again for the forgiveness of sin because that hadn't happened. Nor did he proclaim that to happen except within the framework of uh, the very end when he's dealing with like in the upper room with his, or in the, the Lord's Supper time uh, on Passover with his close disciples. But when he's proclaiming the good news, what exactly is he proclaiming? If you look through all those instances, there are five times of those 19 times, well, 14 of them, it just says the gospel, but there's five of them where he says the gospel of the kingdom. I find that interesting because I don't know what the gospel of the kingdom is. And no one has actually explained to me what the gospel of the kingdom is. Um, but listen to this, Matthew 4, 23, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So what is the kingdom? Now, if you take a look at what Israel was in the time, at that time, they were in bondage, if you will, to Rome. And so they're looking for someone to bring them out of that bondage, same way that Moses brought them out of Egypt. And so they're looking for a Messiah, a savior to take them uh, into freedom and independence and get those ugly, nasty, ugly Romans out of here. Um, Jesus says in Matthew 4, 17, that the kingdom of God is at hand. But then again, in Roman, uh, Matthew 6, verse 10, He's praying for the kingdom to come, which is a little bit weird. If it's here, it's not coming. And if it's coming, it's not quite here yet. So if both of these are true, that means we're in some kind of a transitional time um, where the kingdom of heaven is, is here, is coming to earth, which was his message. If you remember back to what John the Baptist was saying, the kingdom of heaven is here. And um, 
So if you think back to, to one of our the previous explanations, the evangelism explosion explanations of the gospel, where, hey, hey, if you make it into heaven, right? How do you make it into heaven? Jesus is kind of flipping that whole thing on its head and saying, no, 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 no. You're not concerned about making it to heaven because the kingdom of heaven has now come to you. And so we now have access to heaven here and now. It's not just something when you cross the Jordan, right? It's over yonder. It's not when you die. The kingdom of heaven, the life of eternity is here available to you here and now, which is Jesus's crazy proclamation. Um, and one of the things, and this is pretty controversial, especially I, I talk a lot with, with Muslim students, as I said, and obviously they reject that Jesus is uh, God's son, is the Messiah, and, and all of that's well and good. Uh, except it's kind of what Jesus says. So um, um, to give you an example of Jesus proclaiming himself and taking on the, the understanding that he is the king of this kingdom, which is the kingdom of heaven, Luke 19, in Luke 19 talks about him coming down from the Mount of Olives and everybody's saying, oh, um, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, right? So the, the people are calling him king and the Pharisees get all hot and bothered about it. As, and that makes sense, right? They, they don't accept him as king, so they don't like the people saying that he is. Um, Jesus is in front of Pilate toward the end of his, his time on earth, Mark 15. And Pilate says, hey, they say that you're a king. And what do you say about that? And Jesus says, yeah, it is as you say, right? So Jesus accepts the, the moniker of king of the kingdom of heaven. Um, in Matthew 27, during the crucifixion, What's plastered above above him on the cross? That sign says King of the Jews. And um, uh, soldiers and other people mock him. Hey, you say you're the king. Why don't you get yourself off, off the cross, right? So other people, even in a mocking way, are, are exclaiming the kingship of Jesus, which he himself um, has affirmed. But interestingly enough, in John 18, verses 23 and onward, Jesus makes the statement that the kingdom is not of this world. So it's a heavenly kingdom, and it's a spiritual kingdom, and he is the king. What's amazing, and what's the good news, the gospel, is that we now are able to come and enter into that kingdom. So the good news is not that we're on the outside striving, 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 working, working, obeying, obeying, sweating and sweating, trying to make God happy so that he'll bring us into the kingdom. But the really good news for these Jews who are stuck neck deep in the law is that the law is taken care of, the law is fulfilled, the kingdom of heaven is here and walk on it, take it. Um, so the new covenant, what we happen to be living in now, the new promise, the old promise is fulfilled, and we now live in the new promise, um, and it's the promise of the new kingdom, and we now are princes and princesses in that kingdom. Um, the new covenant is far superior to the old. The constant striving to identify as one of God's chosen, which is what Israel was doing throughout its entire history, is replaced with being adopted into the king's family. Having law wrapped around your neck is replaced with having the spirit of God reside within you. Hoping to make it into heaven 
is replaced with being a part of heaven on earth. Laws and rituals are replaced with relationship, intimate and personal. Faithful obedience in one's own power is replaced with a new nature that is already inclined to that obedience. Striving is replaced with rest. Hopelessness and death are replaced with peaceful assurance and the life of eternity. And that is good news. Amen. Months, maybe a year ago or so, I, I asked a question on Facebook. Um, and it went something like this. If you were to run into somebody who's got all the money in the world and just famous like Brad Pitt or, or Elon Musk or somebody, and you just had a one-on-one time with them, what would you say to them as part of the gospel message? And the responses were very interesting. And I think it comes from a perspective. Most people said, well, I don't know. And, and uh, what would I say to somebody who's got everything? The reality is they got nothing, right? Without, without being in and having the, the, uh, the, uh, the citizenship in the kingdom of heaven, you've got nothing. And uh, so when, when you have an opportunity to talk to somebody, don't think that, oh gosh, they've got you know, more money in the bank than I do, or they got better looking husband or, or, or better behaved kids or, or you know, whatever. No, they've got really nothing and you can offer them everything. The good news of life is that there's no more striving for heaven because heaven has come. The kingdom is here. Um, so when you get the chance, and I, I really would love for you guys to uh, to talk to some people who have never heard anything because it's just a, a, a transformative experience. Um, but when you get the chance, tell them the story. Tell them your story of how the kingdom of heaven has come and enveloped you uh, because that is the good news and that's your good news and that's it Amen Questions, comments? Oh boy. How do you get into that conversation? So it seems that there's a stigma around talking about spiritual things because there could be a misunderstanding that you're talking about religious things. Yeah. So do you know of any good conversation starters that you kind of enter into that conversation? Yeah. How do you, how do you, you, I mean, Rusty would just say, follow the spirit because, you know, that's what you always True. But that's not really, you know. It's not very helpful, is it? (laughs) You want a formula. Say this. Ask the question from an evangelism explosion. That's what they tried to address. So I would I would answer that this way, um, Luke, because your personality is vastly different from mine, which is vastly different from my wife's, which is va- so we're all different, and so your approach would, would be out of place for me, right? And that's part of what I think is really cool about how God uses each and every one of us individually. So I, I, I would say a couple things to to this. Um, I would say that 
um, you need to earn the right to speak into their lives. Um, you go to a Colts game recently and you see these guys on the street corner and they're, they're just preaching away into their own little speaker and nobody listens, right? Because that guy hasn't earned the right to be listened to, right? From all those people. So um, you earn that through, through a relationship and trust. And, and then I think more often than not, it becomes a natural conversation piece. Um, for for you, for me, this is a big, big part of our lives, and it's it's just as normal to talk about spiritual things as it is to talk about our families to other people. We just shy away from it because we've been pounded and pounded and pounded by our culture that you can't talk about those things because it's divisive or something, right? Um, one of the beautiful things about my situation with speaking with Muslims. Um, as the predominant subset of, of the students that I deal with, um, is that there are two topics of conversation that they really enjoy. Religion and politics. <laughs> Bring it, you know? So it's like they're like the anti-Americans. And um, so when you're dealing with your neighbor or, or even members of your family, I think you have to earn the opportunity um, to, to speak. And then I think, you know, it's right. You, you just feel it and it just comes out, which is what the Spirit of God working in you. But don't force it, you know. Don't don't walk in with your little four spiritual laws tracked and say, "Let's go through these things," um, unless you feel so compelled. Yes, sir. How about asking, "What does Christmas mean to you?" I think this is a great time of year to have those conversations, right? Because what does Christmas mean? To you know what? I think most of us would answer that slightly differently. A lot of people would say, well, it's time for family to get together and this and that. Others would say, well, Jesus born in a manger, all that. And there's just all sorts of different answers to that. But by asking the question, by asking a simple, non-threatening question. See, that question is a hundred times better than if God, if you were to die and appear to God, why would he let you in? Right? You go, ah. But if you say, what does Christmas mean to you? There's an answer. Could be anything from nothing to to whatever, and so asking a non-threatening question like that, particularly this time of the season, is is a wonderful conversation starter, and that's what you want—a conversation <coughs> with somebody. I don't think you want to just shove a Schofield Bible down somebody's throat uh, because they don't they won't take it. You know, I won't take it, and. Um, and when you have a conversation, you're earning their trust and you're, earning, you're deepening that relationship. And if they reject what you say, it's okay. Yeah. I, I, I asked that question. I'm glad you answered it that way because even with someone, or even like a pretty bold, it's still, it's still not the right way. Yeah. But I find that when, when people meet you in a need, that is, we got plenty of crises in our family. And little things can be a crisis. So if you're there during a crisis or during a really difficult time with someone, sometimes they ask. And I, I found that the most effective time is when somebody's got their shield down through pain, suffering. And when you're there just even to be there, that it does flow more than usual, more than normally. Right. It flows in the bad times versus the good times. Yeah. Right. I don't know if you guys have seen that, so. I, I do think that God uses the, and, and maybe even aids in the, uh, 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 the 
pain and discomfort of, of people in order to catch their attention. <laughs> and, um, and he uses us individually to help point people in the right direction. Yes? Um, I don't do this very well, but uh, <coughs> maybe like, so the New Testament says we're, that we're like the ambassadors yeah. of Christ. Well, if I was, uh, I'm a whole-blooded American citizen, so if I was asked by the president to be the U.S. ambassador to whatever country, and I had to go represent America in that country, I wouldn't be like, I wouldn't question like my citizenship when I went there and be kind of like, well, let me tell you about America, I feel better, whatever. I would just be an American citizen and I'm, I'm, I represent America. Well, as Christians, we're ambassadors of heaven, foreign ambassadors in a foreign land. And I don't, I struggle with sometimes like the confidence it's not like an arrogance, but like a confidence. Like I actually am an ambassador of heaven. So when I'm, so when I'm walking into a situation, I am literally bringing, you know, the whatever, the, you know, like I just think you know the having the confidence and like knowing in the spirit that we're confident that like we really are citizens of heaven, not like no. Kingdom has come, and when I walk into the room, the kingdom of heaven walks in. You know, right. So, so I, I think that's that's really good. One of the things that I've I've learned in the past decade or so is, is that um, control is an illusion. I can't control my own children. I can't control. I can hardly control myself. Um, and so I can't control how other people will receive the message. Of the ambassadorship, right? I can't, it's not my job to convince somebody else of something. I can't, I can't control that person's train of thought. My job is to represent the king and to just say, here it is, here's the truth. It, you know, the old saying, you can lead a horse of water, but you can't make him drink. Well, so here's the water. If you want to drink, man, I really want you to drink. But if you don't want to drink, this is your decision. It's okay. Um, and that has taken a whole burden off of my shoulders because I think the typical, if you go join a missions agency, one of the things that they're going to ask you is, well, how many people have you led to Christ this week or this month or this year? Or how many, all that stuff. It's like, okay, well, I, I, I can't close that deal. It's not my deal to close, right? So it, that, it, it you figure that out and suddenly go, oh, all I have to do is represent the, be the ambassador, represent the king. Here's the message from the king. Take it or leave it. It's up to you. Um, one of the things that I, I, I find interesting is um, we always end our prayers in Jesus's name, right? And I don't know if we, you guys ever thought of what in the world does that mean? Or is it just like a magic closing to a prayer or is the the word Jesus some kind of magic thing or what but no it's more of the ambassadorship right because you would say in the name of the United States of America or in the name of the President of the United States I come and I present this message to you same way in the name of Jesus as representing him I come in his authority 
and that's what it means to, to come and do something in the name in the name of Jesus. Right? With his authority is what I'm sending this request to God or, or, or whatever. Um, so I think that's I think that's a very valuable perspective to have that you're you're simply an ambassador you aren't the king um but you're not a nobody you're an ambassador and all you have to do is take the message as it comes and give it out to people who are hurting who need it any other thoughts or comments or questions no So my, uh, my oldest daughter went and spent three uh, months in Uganda. And one of the stories that she brings about this was years ago, uh, but one of the stories that she brought back is that you would have, you could watch all these uh, Christian missions groups come to Uganda and walk in there knowing everything. And, and we American Christians are so much better or more intelligent or, or more spiritual than you poor lowly Ugandan African people. And, and uh, so there's a, this attitude of, of, of haughtiness and they, they lose it, right? The moment they step off that airplane, it's, it's a lost cause. Um, even though they might have the right message, they're the wrong messenger simply because of attitude. And uh, um, if more people would just, even dealing with your neighbors, you don't have to go all halfway around the world, just dealing with your own neighbors and your own family even, um, uh, just being open with them. <laughs> and, and part of that is, hey, here's my issues. And I have a long list. I have a long list. And, and, and just be open with that. Just be real, right? One more thing, I'm sorry. I wanted to clarify. I want to cut you off. Sir. I know. I want to clarify. So Rusty gives this message of, of follow and walk by the Spirit, listen to the Spirit, and it really is the best piece of advice that anyone can have because because you're an ambassador, you're going into situations that you're not going to be comfortable with, even in regular conversations. But then there's that wimp junction point where you decide, am I going to follow this leading, or am I going to pack it in and stay safe and not say anything or do anything? And I would say when he says follow the spirit, it is to lean into that, step into it, not knowing what's on the other side. And then keep like Keith Tyner, he, he, he does that. He's so used to doing that. Like he literally, his life doesn't look like anyone's life I've ever met. He's always doing that. And so he's moving in boldly into weird unknowns and magic has happened. It just happens in his life. And he did it with me just last week. And so Great, that great piece of advice follow the spirit is if you're thinking it and you think it's from the spirit lean into it walk into it 
and, and start living the adventure. And I, I think God uses those that boldly walk by faith, not that are bold in personality or bold in, in de delivery or message. It's, it's the stepping in, and you'll find that you'll be the most significant voice to, to whoever you're talking to. So. And, and look, I'm glad that you mentioned that it's an adventure. It, it reminds me of in in the book and the movie Lord of the Rings, where um, Frodo and Sam are, are just starting off, and Sam just stops and and uh, he won't take another step for a minute. Frodo, what's going on? I've never been beyond this. Yeah. Right. Never been beyond. So Sam could have ended the story right there, and what a pathetic story. Right. right? Nobody would have bought that book. But no, he leaned into it. He stepped over that line, and he kept on going, and uh, and a great adventure ensued. And I think that's that's absolutely right. Um, lean into that stuff that you you're right. You're completely ill-equipped, and I'm completely ill-equipped. But that's what makes it an adventure. That's what makes it fun. Yes, sir. I think what what you were talking about as far as you know, missions they want to know how how many people that you brought to them and yeah. stuff like that. Well, if you're anointed by Christ, and you're talking about those laundry, laundry list of trials and tribulations that you go through, he's using your life. So if you walk, whether you like it or not, people are watching. You're walking by faith, like you're leaning into it, and you're, and you're and people are, wow, he's been through this, or she's been through this, this, and this, but they're still they're resilient and they're strong. You're going to lead people to that anyway, and then the rest is up to the, right. up to, to their decision. Right. Yeah, it's totally true, and uh, and the adventure is what you're called into, right? And and uh, go take that step. Uh, another movie example. See, I told you everybody likes movies, right? Um, so Indiana Jones and the the Last Crusade, um, whatever that thing is entitled. You you have um, Harrison Ford. He's got to get to the other side of this chasm in order to get to. Um, the, the chalice or whatever he's he's going for and he's looking down and there's no way and he says okay a leap of faith a leap of faith he sticks that one foot up and like closes his eyes and just goes and there's this little invisible bridge that he lands on two inches down and he walks across it it's a leap of faith you and i we don't see where that next foot lands don't have a clue but god's got it all mapped out and it'll be better than anything that you and i will have mapped out all right Anything else? Good. Thank you guys for for um, feedback and and for uh, not dozing. Um, so let's uh, let's let's end some prayer. Oh, and there's also um, the uh, the boxes there for your um, stockings. Thank you. I couldn't remember the word uh, for Christmas. Back that way if you have some to deliver. All right. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for calling us into. Um, the adventure of the kingdom. And Lord, may we um, just continually dwell on, on how blessed we are to be part of your story. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.